1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13 says, If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The, de- the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. So my question for you as we start today, anyone in the room and the devil has come knocking at your door? What do we do? How do we respond when the devil comes knocking at our door? Here's a thought I want you to carry with us the rest of our time together today. You can't escape a devilish temptation without divine endurance. You can't escape a devilish temptation without divine endurance. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that even though we recognize that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, we have life and have it more abundantly. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So God, I thank you that when the devil comes knocking at our door, that you raise up a standard against him. And so God, I pray that you speak to us through the authority of your word and that you teach us more about who you are and the way you do things. Teach us how to respond to our enemy by the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do we respond, y'all, when the devil comes knocking at the door? How do we respond when presented with the opportunity to sin? How do we react when we feel as though we're facing a test that just might get the best of us? Much of what I learned about sin and temptation, I learned in one event that happened a long, long time long time ago. I want to take you to Mableton Elementary School in 1972. Go ahead and get that out of your system. Little cuteness overload right there. So I'm sitting in my first grade class and in front of me is a young Young girl, her name is Jerry Fowler. Jerry with an I. (laughs) Jerry Fowler sat in front of me. She was my friend. And it was almost snack time. And just like I do now, I did then enjoy snack time. Anybody like snack time? I had a dilemma. I had left the house without my snack. That is a bad day. So we're uh, milling about. There's this activity going on in my first grade class. And Jerry Fowler had left her raisins on her desk. The sun-made raisins. Not the little bitty box. The big box of sun-made raisins. And I was hungry. And I knew I didn't have a snack. So I took them. Now... Give me, a, give me a minute. My children are just hearing this story for the first time. And, and I'm... I took her raisins. 
Nobody saw me. It was the perfect crime. (laughs) And then the guilt began to overwhelm me. Snack time came, and Jerry went, Somebody took my raisins. (laughs) And inside, my soul is dying because I had known I had taken her raisins. So she went to the teacher. Somebody took my raisins, Jerry with an eye said to our teacher. Somebody took my raisins. And so as teachers do, she went through. Did you take her raisins? Did you? She, went, she got to me. Did you take her raisins? Yes. <laughs> I took her raisins. So I had to give Jerry with an eye her raisins back. And the teacher took me outside. And I knew what was waiting on me outside. See, I had watched enough televisions to know that outside there were going to be two men in blue with guns and badges (laughs) with a car in the parking lot with sirens and lights on and they're going to take me to jail for stealing Jerry with an eyes raisins (laughs) well obviously that didn't happen but I did get a lecture about the evil of stealing somebody else's snack and I knew it I didn't have to hear it I knew before I ever got outside that door that I had done wrong it was awful I shouldn't have done it and I felt bad and and so I had given her her raisins back I walked back in I sat down at my desk I'm sorry it's okay and know what kids do it's okay and I felt so bad and then the strangest thing happened the strangest thing happened Jerry with an eye took her raisins and she dumped about half of them in, in her hand And she turned around and gave them to me. I immediately fell in love. (laughs) Just saying, girl going to share her raisins with you. You know, you want to hang on to her. Especially after. I learned a lot about temptation that that day. The first thing that I learned is not really about temptation, but it was a great lesson. Girls are nice. I learned at that moment that I really liked girls. <laughs> girls are nuts. Second thing I learned was that temptation typically doesn't announce its arrival. It just presents itself. I mean, you know, the devil doesn't text message you on Sunday and say, hey, listen, Tuesday around 2 p.m., I'm coming at you. Doesn't work that way, does it? Third thing I learned was that nobody had to teach me how to sin. Now, look at that. How cute and innocent. Does that look like a raisin thief to you people? No. It does now, right? Yes. I wouldn't trust him with anything. He's going to steal your raisins. Nobody had to teach that young boy how to sin. Came very natural to him. Fourth thing I learned was that guilt feels awful. fifth thing I learned was that confession feels right. See, after, after that moment of incredible guilt, just telling her that I had taken her raisins, making things right, somehow in my little six-year-old mind, I thought, this is better. In fact, I would say the sixth thing that I learned was that shared raisins are much sweeter than stolen ones. And maybe in my mind, God was teaching me a lesson in that moment, was that His way works. God's way works. And so I want to talk to you about temptation today. 
Because were we honest, every one of us has dealt with temptation this month, <laughs> this week, today, since we've been in the building. Wouldn't it be nice if God took away all our temptations when we got saved? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if God somehow built this spiritual wall around us so that temptation could never, ever, ever reach us? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if the devil only came knocking at our door on our strong days? How many know the opposite is mostly true? Here's what I learned that day, and I'm still learning is that as long as we live on this earth, we'll deal with tests and trials and temptations. But how? See, I believe with all my heart there'll be a day when all of those things will pass away. But that day is not today. So what do we do when the devil comes knocking at our door? The Bible tells us. We read it. So let's look at our passage that we read Let's break it down a little bit. The first thing he says was, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. And before that can really make a lot of sense, you really need to back up a few verses. You don't have to do it now, but when you get home, you ought to read the rest of this passage because what, what Paul teaches the Corinthian church, he not really teaches them, he reminds them about Israel's history. He reminds them about a time when the children of Israel were crossing the wilderness, crossing a, des a desert, and he makes this odd statement. He said, and Christ, the rock of Christ, was with them. And you think, this is going to be a good story. They're walking across the desert, and the rock of Christ is with them. It's a good day. It's a good story. Christ is with them as they walk across this desert. And then he makes another statement. But God was displeased with most of them. The rock of Christ was with them, but God was displeased with most of them, and they died in the wilderness. I wonder, is that true of our culture today? The rock of Christ is with us, but most of us displease the Lord. Is that true? It's a legitimate question, isn't it? I wonder if from his place in heaven, does God look upon our culture with a smile? Or have we displeased him? And let's, let's narrow it down a little bit further because how many know that Paul wasn't talking to the culture Paul was talking to the church. I wonder if God looks upon the big C church and smiles. I, I hope so. But have we displeased Him? What, what, what did the children of Israel do that displeased the Lord so terribly? Was they stealing each other's raisins? It went a little deeper than that. The word is idolatry. The reason God was displeased with the children of Israel, with most of them, was they had fallen into the worship of other gods. 
to idolatry. And see, what I don't want to do and what I don't want you to do is to be like the Corinthian church and think that that might not be an issue you struggle with because Paul told them, be careful. Some translations say, take heed, pay attention. The reason God was displeased with the children of Israel might be the very reason he's displeased with us. See, idolatry, see, you, it's so easy to fall into this trap. Well, that's not me. I don't have any, you know, stone idols set up in my living room. See, idolatry exists when anything or anyone sits in the seat that is reserved for God. And that can literally be anything or anyone. Anything or anyone. Anything. Can my recreational activities become an idol? Are they bad? Of course not. It's not wrong to go hit a golf ball. I, I had my a physical therapy appointment. And she said, what's your goals? That's past week. She said, what's your goals? And I said, I want to be able to hit a golf ball. And she said, well, you know, can you swing one time? And I said, I probably could force it through one time. But the way I play golf, I have to swing the club many, many, many times. So is that, is that an idol? No. Until it sits in the wrong seat. You've seen from my silly little illustration, food can be an idol. Anything can be an idol. I heard this story, and you guys ask me from time to time, you know, can I have a glass of wine with dinner? And my response is typically, I don't know, can you? And so maybe you have worked that out in, in fear and trembling in your own life. But, but here, I, would, I would say, let's be careful. I, it, until, because once that becomes something that, let me say it like this. When that becomes something we go to for things that we should be going to Jesus for. When we go to alcohol, for comfort and rest and relaxation when we should be finding our rest in the arms of the Lord. You, you, you making, am I making sense? The difference between something and an idol? And it can be anybody. Donna opened this door last week, so I'm just going to walk right through it, okay? Your children can be an idol. When an 8-year-old, when a 10-year-old, when a 15-year-old dictates the direction of your household, they're an idol. I know I wasn't going to get any big amens there. But here's the problem. When we let someone or something dictate our life and sit in the seat that is reserved for God, it's an idol. Be careful. Take heed. Pay attention. Maybe I'll say it like this. I'm going to make you all sick of this picture before it's over with. When anything else is the hub of our wheel. When anything else, anyone else is the hub of that wheel. And here's where we're going to land today. Most of the time, and see, God's supposed to be the hub of that wheel, right? Yeah. Right? Most of the time, when we remove God as the hub of the wheel, do you know what we replace him with? It's not a habit. It's not raisins. It's not alcohol. It's not a re recreational sport. You know what it is? We replace him with us. And we become our own idol. It's my way. It's 
my life. It's my truth. Be careful. Pay attention. Take heed. You with me? Write this down. Every temptation begins with doubting God's position, power, and authority. It's position when we say, it's my life. Who sits on the throne of your life? If it's anything but God, it's an idol. Be careful. Take heed. Pay attention. It's power when it's, you know, I, I've seen God do great things in other people's lives, but I'm not sure he can do that in mine. I've seen God heal and deliver others. I'm just not sure he can do that in me. I'm not, I've seen God restore the joy of someone else's salvation. I'm just not sure he can do that for me. When we begin to doubt God's power, we no longer allow him to sit on the throne of our life. He's no longer in control, right? It's his authority when we said, I know what he said, but. This culture has a problem with authority. And before we point to, you know, 18, 22, 24-year-olds, let's look in the mirror. I, I really struggled with this next statement, but I believe it to be true. Sin doesn't exist without a standard. In other words, if God never created a law, it would be impossible to break it. You, you with me? Without a standard, there is no sin. And so here's what our culture's done. Instead of trying to live by the standard, let's just take the standard away. And that's where our culture is. See, there's no sin without a standard. In reality, what that word sin means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. And here's what we've done. We've taken the target away, shot the arrow, and then drew the bullseye around where the arrow landed. There is a standard. There is an authority. And one day, every knee will bow and every con tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go on social media long enough and you're going to hear somebody say, live your truth. <laughs> Stop. There's one and it's him. There's one authority, and it's Jesus. There's one standard, and it's his word. Anytime we step aside from that standard, here's the deal. We are, in essence, removing God from the authority in our life. So before we can talk about resisting temptation, before we can talk about winning the battle over temptation, we got to remember there is a standard. I'd say it like this. Relying on your own strength to face the temptations of the enemy is a recipe for failure. 
Then the scripture that we read went on to say this. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Heard a story of a little boy at the corner grocery store in his hometown. And he's standing in front of the candy aisle. Anybody like some candy? This little boy loves some candy. And he's looking at the candy aisle. And he's putting his hands in his pockets. And he's looking at the store owner. And he's looking at the candy aisle. And he's putting his hands in his pockets. And he's looking at the store owner. And it's obvious to the store owners what's happening here. Looking at the candy aisle. Licking his lips. Putting his hands in his pockets. And looking at the store owner. Finally, the store owner walks over and says, Young man, it looks like you're trying to steal some candy. And the boy said, Mister, you're wrong. I'm trying not to. <laughs> See, we, we all face temptation, but the truth is the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. See, there was another little boy somewhere that was tempted to steal somebody's raisins. That, that thing the devil's knocking on your door about, he's knocking on somebody else's. Write this down. You don't have to battle temptation alone. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is walking with someone else through the exact same temptation you're walking through right now. This is one of the biggest reasons why you and I, being an active part of a spiritual community, is mission critical. Here's my question for you. Do you have somebody in your life that you can talk to about the big stuff? Now, now listen, I know you got people in your life you, can, you could say, you know what? You can be cute like I've been doing this. Man, the devil's been knocking on my door. I need you to pray for me. I know you got that guy or that girl, but you have somebody in your life that you can say, listen, I've been tempted with pornography all week. Will you pray for me? Do you have that person in your life? Do you have that person in your life when you're in a committed marriage and an old boyfriend from years gone by found you on social media and you've started this little conversation and it's gotten a little intimate, maybe inappropriately intimate. Do you have somebody that you can call and say, listen, man, I've, I've walked down this path. I need you to pray for me. I need you to help me. Do you have that person in your life? How many times have you heard Pastor Dwayne say this statement? That the enemy thrives when you're isolated. See, if he, if he can tuck you away by yourself, if he can feel like, I can't share this. I can't share this temptation with anybody else because they'll judge me. They'll think less of me. And you know what that is? I'm going to tell you exactly what that is. You guys love me, so I'm going to be honest. That is filthy, stinking pride. Be careful, take heed, pay attention. Because isolation is exactly where the enemy wants you. Huh. Passage goes on to make this beautiful statement. And this is really the, the heart of this whole sermon. He said, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And then he said, and God is faithful. 
Write this down. The temptations of the enemy are no match for the faithfulness of a loving father. See, how many have heard a sermon, a Sunday school class, a small group lesson on this passage of Scripture before sometime in your life? Raise your hand. So it's not an unfamiliar passage, right? And usually we think, well, this is, this is a passage that talks about how to build my willpower and boost my defense. And that's not what the passage is at all. What the passage talks about is not how strong you can be, but how faithful your father is. It's not intended to expose your weakness. It's intended to highlight the power of God and the life of someone whose heart is completely His. It's not some biblical motivational speech. It's a testimony to the faithfulness of a loving Father. Listen, if you've ever one time won the battle of temptation in your life, it has nothing to do with how strong you are. They sung that song today. That, that there's this verse that every time I hear it, 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 I'm not even sure what the right emotion is that I feel. I, I reflect over my life every time I hear this vo- verse, and it says, I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. Man, <laughs> that verse might not mean anything to you unless you've been through a fire. But if he's ever led you through one, I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in the darkest night. You are close like no other. Let that resonate for a minute. See, we have this distorted image of God that when I'm battling with with temptation, with an ugly one, that he's disgusted by me and turned off by my weakness and turns his face away from me. In the darkest night, he is close like no other. Though I make my bed in hell, thou art with me. In darkest night, you are close like no other and here's the part i've known you as a father i've known you as a friend and i have lived in the goodness of god i don't live in my goodness thank god (laughs) all my life you have been faithful this verse is not about how to flex your spiritual muscles It's about how to lean on the faithfulness and goodness of God. Because if you're trying to fight the enemy of your own strength, of your own accord, good luck with that. You're no match for him on your own. (laughs) But when Jesus lives in you, the Holy Spirit leads and guides and directs you, the Heavenly Father covers you, guess what? He's... I love this image of King David as a boy looking at the giant and going, he's not too too big to hit, he's too big to miss. 
He's huge, but he's nothing in comparison to the God that I serve. Write this down. Temptation, might, you don't have to write it down. It's already filled in. Temptation may be a fight, but God's in your corner. Oh, y'all, y'all are going to laugh at this, but I love the Rocky movies. Come on, I love the Rocky. Any, anybody love the Rocky movies? Come on. Come on. Um, Rocky three, Rocky was a little overconfident. See, he's now defended his title several times. And he's dressing nice. And he's got a nice house. And he's got a nice car. And there's this young, strong fighter named Clubber Lang. Let me tell you something. You don't mess with somebody named Clubber Lang. It's Mr. T if you've never seen the movie. By the way, if you've never seen the movie, I'm going to spoil it for you, but don't, it's been out 40 years, so don't be like, oh, I was going to watch it today. Don't do that. <laughs> so he's, he's overconfident, takes the, light, the, the fight really lightly and gets the daylights beat out of him. So now there's a rematch. And the second fight starts off much like the first until... There's one punch Rocky gets in, and, and now Clubber's a little vulnerable. And he sits down, and there's this beautiful point when Apollo Creed is now training Rocky, and he's sitting there in the corner, and he says, Rocky, he's just a man. Be more man than him. And Rocky gets out there and starts looking at Clubber Lang going, You ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. How many of you know? That on your own, you don't want to fight Clubber Lang. But you get a little dose of inspiration from Apollo Creed. You ain't so bad. Listen, now that's silly, but, but pay attention. You fight the enemy by yourself, he's going to pack your lunch. But man, you, you, you let God be in your corner? Fill your heart with his presence and power? You ain't so bad. Huh. The verse says, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Temptation isn't a sign of weakness. Write this down. Uh, uh, by the way, that's a huge lie of the enemy. Here's what he'll tell you. If you were a better Christian, you wouldn't be dealing with this temptation. If you were a better Christian, if you read your Bible more, if you prayed more, you wouldn't be dealing with this like you are. You're, you're pretty weak. And here, here's what I want you to understand. A temptation isn't a sign of weakness. It's an indication that God trusts you. Read the book of Job if you want to get really uncomfortable. Because there's this bad, there's, there's this incredibly difficult passage where the devil's walking around trying to find somebody who he can mess with. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? How much must God have trusted Job to allow him to walk through what he walked through? How much must God trust you? Now listen, James teaches us that your temptation doesn't come from God. God, God doesn't tempt you to sin. But if your life is bound in the arms and hands of the Lord, guess what? Nothing comes into your life that he doesn't allow. How much must God trust you? <laughs> There's a difference. We don't have time for this, but I'm going to give it to you because you need to know this. There's a difference between a temptation and a test. A temptation is from the enemy, and it's meant to steal and kill and destroy. 
God's never going to tempt you with sin. God's never going to tempt you with evil. But a test is designed to grow you and disciple you. And many times, they're equally as uncomfortable. And, and the truths that we're going to talk about over the next few minutes work in both. A temptation is a, is a sign of weakness. It's an indication that God trusts you. And here's what you're going to take. Here's what you're going to say. In the middle of a temptation, in the middle of a test, in the middle of a trial, call it what you will, you're going to say, I've had all I can take. I can't take anymore. I can't stand this. I, this has got to stop. I, I can't do this anymore. I can't do Monday today. Take this as prophetic. Yes, you can. If God, listen, please get this. If God will take you to the dark time, He will get you through the dark time. But you got to have a divine endurance. Where does that come from? See, he says, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So that you can endure. Write this down. The key to enduring temptation is choosing to follow the right path. Because you can't escape a devilish temptation without divine endurance. So you're going to give me some profound, deep theological truth about how do, we, how do we stand? How do we go through it? How do we handle when the devil comes knocking at your door? And the truth is, it's really very simple. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Submit yourselves to God. Some translations say, surrender yourself to God. Some say, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. Here's the problem. We try to resist when we're unsurrendered. We have to do this in order. We try to resist the devil. Devil, get out of my house. Well, you know, there's some stuff you got to get out of your house. Get out of my mind. Well, you need to stop putting stuff that originated in hell in your mind. Submit yourselves to God. Surrender yourself to God. Hey, there's a word there that, that I've talked to you about before. It's the word therefore. What do you do when you see the word therefore in Scripture? What's it there for? See, if you back up a passage, the Bible says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I, I wonder what God does with a prayer like this. God, I'm in the middle of, of this trial. I'm in the middle of this temptation. I'm in the middle of this dark time. I can't do it without you. I need your grace. I need your help. I need your strength. 
I need your mercy. I need you to go before me. I need you to cover me with your mighty hand. I need to hide you to hide me under the shelter of your wings. What do you think God does with that? Don't you think that pleases the heart of your father when you recognize that without him you can do nothing but you can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives you the strength? Don't you believe that that honors your heavenly father when you recognize your weakness in light of his strength? The answer is yes. Before you try to take on hell, let's make sure we're surrendered to God. I've talked to you a couple of times about this, about the prayer model that I use. I taught the boys, P-R-A-Y, praise, ask, repent, yield. It's easy to praise. It's easy to find something to be thankful for, isn't it? Isn't it? It's easy to find something you need to repent for. Come on, y'all, right? It's easy to find something to ask for, isn't it? The why part's the hardest part of that prayer. God, I will... Go where you want me to go, and I will say what you want me to say. I'll behave like you want me to behave. You'll never overcome a devilish temptation as long as you're the hub of your wheel. As long as you remain unsure as to who is really in charge of your life. Until you surrender, submit, humble yourself before God. Declare Him as the authority of your life. (laughs) Maybe there's been a time when you've been involved in a conversation. I don't know. Maybe on Wednesday around a Chinese buffet table. Maybe somebody brought up, I don't know, a national leader that was obviously struggling with some things just hypothetically and somebody might say who do you think's really calling the shots and we'll laugh and then we'll maybe not laugh and here's what we mean by when we say those types of things He may look the part, he may dress the part, he may have the title, but is he really calling the shots? And before you make this a political statement, because it's not intended to be, just because you look the part, just because you act the part, just because you got a LifePoint sticker on the back of your car, Is he really an authority in your life? Here's what I want for Dwayne and for our church. I want us to live our lives in humble authenticity. And I think that's what that passage is really talking about. Humble yourself before God. Submit yourself before Surrender to God. Is he Lord of your life? Is he Lord of your life? See, now what we hear when we ask that question is, did I say a prayer at eight years old? No. Is he in control? Is he the authority? Is it his way in your life? 
That's a difficult question. Because if he's Lord of your life, that means he's got to be Lord of your attitude. All the last four minutes, it got real quiet in here. Is he Lord of your attitude? Is he Lord of your emotions? Well, Dwayne, I can't help how I feel. Yes, you can. Jordan told you how to. He read it. In, in fact, if he's Lord of my life, y'all aren't, aren't going to like this, but Dwayne's walked through this. If he's Lord of my life, I am obligated to choose joy. Do you know why? He told me to. So if, if I say I'm going to be in control of my emotions, then that means I've got to sit in his seat. Because his word said to choose joy. His word said weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And if I believe that, then I've got to walk in it. So the key to enduring temptation is choosing to follow the right path. What the, the operative word there, you know what the operative word there is? Choosing. It's not that complicated. So in the time we got left, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you one, two, how many did I give you? I'm going to give you five things, all right? And, 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 and here, here we go. The first thing, when the devil knocks, we've said it 15 times, take heed, pay attention, wake up. Because it's not if temptation comes, what is it? When? Because it's coming, because he hates you. Because you're bought with a price, the blood of Christ Jesus, and that fact alone puts you on his hit list. So take heed, pay attention, wake up. By, by the way, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm not going to leave you all depressed with the, the devil coming after you. Just, I got five, four more, so hang with me. Number two, know your history. I had a, y'all, I want you to get this. I had a really cool conversation with someone this past week. And we were talking about, uh, the Bible calls them besetting sins. The sins that does so easily beset us. And I bet, I bet that you know yours. See, if I were to ask you, what's that? And a, and a besetting sin is that thing that just hangs on. You're walking in victory, but you, there's this, there's this sin that kind of keeps hanging around. When I was a youth pastor, we used to call them sticky sins. It's like gum on the bottom of your shoe. And see, maybe, maybe you say, okay, I know what mine is. You might say, mine's lust. My, my, my besetting sin is lust. Is it? Is it? See, I think what we've done is we've, and here's where we've messed up, y'all, is we think, all right, if, if there's a, if there's a, tree if there's a sin tree in all of our hearts what we think as long as we keep the fruit off of that tree and if 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 the if the sin fruit pops up we got we, we got to get rid of that real quick in other words we got to close our eyes shut off our computer we got to you know run away from this person but you know we, we got to plug the fruit off the tree right See, that's not what a besetting sin is. The besetting sin is not the fruit. The besetting sin is the root of that tree. And, and what it typically lies in 
let's, let's, let's go on with our illustration. Let's say it's lust. I know that never happens to anybody in this room, but let's just pretend it does. It, it, we, we can't stop with just saying, well, yes, lust is my besetting sin. No, it's not. You know why? Because what, what lust really is, it's really pride. It's really my needs are more important than my commitment to God, my commitment to my spouse, my commitment to this person, this random person that I don't even know. What I need is more important than any of those other things. It's pride. And so instead of just plucking the sin off the tree, we got to kill it at the root. And you can't do that. Your axe ain't big enough. That can only be a work of the Holy Spirit. As we submit, surrender, and humble ourselves before Him, guess what? That tree gets weaker and weaker and weaker as we humble and submit and surrender ourselves before Him. We know our history. We know what our besetting sin is. And we go on a journey led by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, show me where the root of that is. By the way, if you go pick apples off an apple tree, guess what's coming back next season? Apples. And the next season, apples. Until you cut it down, until you kill it, it's not going away. Take heed, pay attention, wake up, know your history. Please get this. Make sure you're sitting in the right seat. Make sure God's sitting in the driver's seat of your life. Make sure God's sitting on the throne of your heart. I don't, I, I don't know any other analogies. Make sure God's in control. It yeah. doesn't mean that you're not, that, that you're, it's not your life. Of course it's your life. You've got to live it, but make sure God's in control. Yeah. And this next one, listen to me. This is profound, deep stuff, this, this next one. It's, it's heavy. When the enemy, when the devil starts, starts knocking at your door, number four says, stop answering the door. But we don't. Do you know why? We like what's on the other side of that door, don't we? Looks good, smells good, whatever. We like what's on the other side of that door. Listen to me. If, if the enemy brings it to your door, I don't care what it looks like, what it tastes like, what it smells like, how much fun it is. It will kill you. Stop answering the door. I, I saw, I read one, one, uh, I read one uh, little article, and it was about a little girl. And she was having this conversation about, about temptation. And, the, and it was this exact same analogy. With, when the devil knocks on your door, she said, I don't answer it. I send Jesus. Jesus opens the door and the devil goes, oops, wrong house. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. God, if I open that door, death lies on the other side of it. Would you please do what I can't? Come on, y'all. Here's the problem. It's easier not to fight the battle. I would be a lying preacher if I told you that it's easier 
to just give in. You feel that way sometimes, though, don't you? You feel like, if, if I just open the door and get this over with, I don't have to fight the battle anymore. Please, please hear me. I had this distorted idea of what God wanted out of my life when I was a teenager. That, all right, God's got these things that are fun and that, that bring a lot of pleasure. And, and I'm going to put them over here and tell Dwayne to stay away from it as long as he lives. Because I'm God and I don't want to have him have, him have any fun. That's what I, now, that's exaggerated, but you get the picture. No. What you ought to see is a picture of a loving God who sees bombs, landmines disguised as things that are pleasurable. Dwayne, I love you too much to let you walk across that field. So I'm going to give you some standards. And lastly, place more confidence in God's faithfulness than your willpower. Listen, you're not strong enough, but if you surrender, submit, humble yourself before God, listen, it's amazing what God can do in the life of someone whose heart's completely His. So, in our, Donna's going to come. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Maybe this will be a good time to not look around. Just bow your heads. I, I want you just to dream for a minute. I asked you at the very beginning of the, of the message, you know, wouldn't it be nice if temptation just went away? We just didn't have to deal with it? Of course it would. But I'm going to ask you a question. How would your life be different? if you're able to endure those temptations of the evil one? Would it be better? What would your life look like if you were able to endure this season, the one that you walked in today, knowing you're in the middle of, of testing and trial? What would your, how would your life be different if you knew and were confident that if God brought you to it, He's going to get you through it? And then maybe the last question I'm going to ask you today is, is there part of your life that is unsurrendered? If, is there a part of your life where Christ is not the authority? I want you to listen to me very carefully because I know what I'm talking about. If there's a part of your life that's unsurrendered, if it's an attitude, it's an action, it's an emotion, if it's a habit, if it's an addiction, if there's a part of your life that is unsurrendered, if it's resentment, if it's unforgiveness, if there's a part of your life that's unsurrendered, listen very carefully, that's the open door for your enemy. So what's the solution? More willpower? Nope. It's to shut the door. by the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit as you submit, surrender, and humble yourself before the Lord. God, I need you. 
So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you that maybe this season that you're walking through may seem difficult. This season of temptation and test and trial, it, it, it may seem difficult, but I'm going to pray that the God that brought you to it will bring you through it. And I'm going to pray for you that if there's an unsurrendered area of your life, an unsurrendered part of your life, that instead of it being, please hear this, instead of it being an open door for the enemy, that the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of Christ in your life, as you close that door, surrender to the Holy Spirit, that what was an open door becomes a beautiful testimony to the faithfulness of a loving Father. So if you say, Dwayne, I want you to include me in this prayer today. Just, just slip your hand up so I know who to pray for. Amen. 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 Father, in Jesus' name, in the name that is above every name, we confess that sometimes we don't handle temptation correctly. Sometimes we try to handle it within our own strength, with our own willpower. Sometimes we try to handle it by pretending it's not there. And sometimes we try to handle it just by giving in. But God, from this day forward, would you teach us how to let you answer that door? How to surrender every part of our life, to submit every part of our life, to humble every part of our life before the Lord? God, I pray for those that raised their hands, those that wanted to but couldn't. When the enemy comes knocking at our door, Lord Jesus, help us to respond in surrender, in submission, in humility, with the power and authority of the Holy Spirit to resist that enemy. And God, we are confident that in that moment, he flees from us. Not because we're strong, but because we serve a mighty, powerful, strong Savior. Come on, I want you to just, in, in, in your own way, in your own way, I want you to talk to God about that unsurrendered part of your life. That unsurrendered, that unsubmitted part of your life. I just want you to talk to Jesus. Lord, you can have my attitude. You can have my actions. You can have my emotion, my resentment, my frustration. God, you can have it. You can have it. In your own way, just talk to me. sing this with me. All my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness. Come on, stand to your feet.
just declare that with me. And all my life you have been All my life you have been so, so good. Thank you, Jesus. Every breath that I am made, I will sing of the goodness of God. If that's your testimony this morning, I want you to offer him an ovation of praise for his goodness, his grace, his mercy. Amen.